This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, located in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 638 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum, and I will be your head number one for the duration. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two. This week, we're back to reviewing new comics from New Comic Book Day, Wednesdays, September 29th and October 6th. That's today. After that, We'll head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, our Dungeon Master, Wooly Toots, joins us for this edition of our Take a Look! It's in a Book Club! You can hear the whole segment in our Patreon Extra this week, but we'll give you a taste of our discussion of the upcoming graphic novel, Tukey, from Bone creator Jeff Smith. It's all happening in this mind-melting episode, and it starts with review time in the ziggurat! This week's new comics pile starts with two comics each from last week and then two from this week. You might not realize that that's what we do every time we review new comics. Yeah, but there's new people all the time, so we gotta, you know. That's pretty optimistic. We're welcoming. Great, great attitude, buddy. Our pile is full of burning X-Islands, bats fighting wolves, a deathstroke face turn, and some DIY exorcism techniques. Matt, you're batting leadoff this week. My first review is of Human Remains, number one from Vault. It's $3.99. This was written by Peter Milligan with art by Sally Cantorino. Here's your solicit. Dax and Bisa love each other, but in this new and terrifying world, love is dangerous. Feeling anything is dangerous. Earth has a new and terrible invader monsters. Earth has a new and terrible invader monsters. Okay, that's what it says. There's a hyphen right there. I know. Has a new and terrible invader monsters yes i know i think that maybe is it uh, british <laughs> no <laughs> it's not it's okay look it doesn't help if i do this earth has a new and terrible invader oh. monsters that deprive it okay Come yes on, man. monsters that deprive us of the very feelings that make us human a shocking tale of pent-up emotions perilously loud sex and forced composure in the face of unspeakable horror dot 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 from one of the most celebrated writers in comics peter milligan you might know him better from x-force enigma shade the changing man and hellblazer and breakout horror artist sally Cantorino, who worked on i walk with monsters and the final girls Otherworldly monsters that prey on people for expressing their emotions sounds like a course that Professor Milligan was born to teach. He has a talent for writing the truly bizarre and working it into a very relatable situation. This story reads like it was born during the pandemic, with society at first refusing to believe the invasion was real until people started getting butchered in the streets. The plot jumps a bit from what the narrator keeps calling the time before the invasion to the time after the invasion, showing people all over the world learning what happens when they get emotional, which ends in a puddle of gore, and the present where everyone is too afraid to show any emotion. It's a good setup, but something about this isn't grabbing me. I wrote about how much I liked Cantorino's art when I reviewed her other vault book, I Walk With Monsters, last year, but her style didn't work for me as much here. 
it's not that the art is bad. It's still recognizable and her style is still recognizable and present here, but there's a more cartoonish look to the book, I guess. One of the things that stood out from I Walk With Monsters was the actual monster design. It was amazing, and I can't say the same here. I didn't care for this monster design, to tell you the truth, and I found it hard to tell what was going on when it was attacking and dismembering people. Even her gore doesn't look as good here, which leads me to believe that it's a choice she's making. I'm not sure why that choice was made, though. I'm giving this a skim it because the art was a little distracting for me at points. Like, I, I couldn't really tell what was going on in some panels, quite honestly. Yeah, you know, I'm giving this a skim it as well. Peter Milligan is a writer who, like, taking nothing away from his accomplishments, he's a beloved, uh, you know, kind of uh, vertigo... Uh, tentpole writer i guess you'd say yeah um and uh the definition so, of tentpole writer i think oh <laughs> well, i mean i don't know uh but you know he's uh he's written a ton of stuff people love ecstatics uh x-force ecstatics all that stuff um shade the changing man as was said in the solicit and uh but a lot of his stuff is just hit or miss for me personally as a reader um i i thought that this was interesting i did like the setup like i like the pandemic allegory is just big time. Short. Yeah. It, it's chef's kiss. Yeah. Uh, like there's even a line in here about how uh, people think that the uh, uh, monsters were a hoax or a hoax perpetuated by Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, which is some real 5g microchip magnetic skin shit. Uh, and uh, it, it, yeah. So it like the setup is fun. Um, but I agree. The art uh, just doesn't fit. Yeah. And uh, it's so strange because she was so good in I Walk With Monsters. I And so it's got to be a choice, I guess. Yeah. And, and you know, it, like these monsters, uh, when you actually finally see the monster in full at the very end, even then it is so kind of ill-defined. Yeah. That it's hard to even be scared because like I a, just is. It's like a skeleton with. It's just like a collection of tentacles. Tubes coming ske- out of it or something. Tentacles, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, maybe that. And, and so that does read as a choice to me, right? Like it's so alien that the brain can't make sense of it. Sure. If that's what she's going for, great. Right. Um, but on the page, it doesn't. It just didn't translate for me. Yeah. There's better uh, ways to do that. Definitely. Yeah, this is a skimmit for me. Um, uh, some solid ideas, but uh, in execution, um, I didn't really connect with it. Moving on to a different kind of monster, we've got Batman versus Bigby! Exclamation point! A Wolf in Gotham, number one. This is from DC slash Black Label. It's $3.99. It's written by Bill Willingham with art by Brian Level. Here's your solicit. With the blood dry at Gotham's fourth gruesome murder scene in as many weeks, Batman is stumped. The same hallmarks haunt each investigation. Brute force entries, bodies ripped to shreds and stamped with enormous bite marks and clumps of fur, wolf fur, scattered in the wreckage. The streets buzz with rumors of the quote-unquote werewolf of Gotham. Determined to crack the case, 
Batman finds no leads and a mysterious, hairy, chain-smoking figure dogging his every move. The Dark Knight's dangerously close to losing. I Harry, get it. He's dogging. Yeah, get it? I get it. Okay, yep, just I, make sure. just make I sure. get it. <laughs> the Dark Knight's dangerously close to losing his cool when a series of bombings levels the city's libraries in the days leading up to the 32nd annual Gotham Literary Festival. As Batman narrows in on the bookworm and his literary henchmen, he discovers that an invaluable book from another world is at the center of the violence. Stranger still, the wolf is in on it. But what kind of monster is built from such brains and brawn? And is he an enemy or an ally? Worlds collide as Gotham mystery kickstarts a return to the world of fables. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> uh, now that is a solicit. Yeah. That is like. You don't need to know anything more. In fact, you just read the comic. There you go. Buy it. <laughs> what do you guys think? Uh, no, I mean, uh, barring any like specific spoilers about the plot, uh, like this is a very succinct description of what this book is all about. Yeah, and, Bill Willingham uh, wrote know, that solicit, right? Oh, certainly. He yeah. certainly did. Fables is back, sort of. And so is everyone's favorite big bad wolf, hot on the trail of a familiar sounding killer. But the Bat family takes center stage in this issue, including almost every Robin at once. Uh, and it's best not to dwell on the how and why of it all. Thanks, Black Label. <laughs> Readers that were there at the time will mostly remember Bill Willingham's bat writing stint as disastrous, including Stephanie Brown's ill-fated turn as Robin and the abysmal War Games crossover. See Patreon exclusive Tales Too Terrible to Tell colon War Games. Oof. Available now on Patreon.com slash Two-Headed Nerd. Like I lost weight doing that one. Uh, like there's a reason why we did that one and then months went by before we did another. Oh, yeah. <laughs> things are much better here so far with batman barking orders at a mostly voiceless background sidekicks and flexing his detective prowess in front of the gcpd and new transfer molly grace who is clearly a fable in disguise if she's not i will eat my hat right the mystery stuff come on yeah i mean up to the way she's dressed even like she's dressed like a 1940s gumshoe detective yeah, no it's, one's like oh are you a time traveler <laughs> 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 nope just my style you know how it goes yeah like she might as well be wearing like that uh sherlock holmes whatever you call it trilby or whatever i don't know the name of that hat you know and smoking a little pipe just like a hunter's cap or something like that a hunter's cap stalker's maybe. Yeah, cap yeah. stalker's stalker's cap, cap. yeah, yeah. The mystery stuff, especially the bookworm and his uh, group, screams fables, and Willingham slides effortlessly back into that world. Brian Lovell's art is great. It's packed with atmospheric detail, and he clearly feels like a good fit for the former Vertigo hit. I did not mean to rhyme that. There's something a little odd, though, about the way he handles the superhero elements, uh, as though Batman were a visitor to Fable Town instead of the other way around. But, I totally you know, agree. It, it it does work in the in the context of this being like this is the fables version of Batman in a fables story, and so I went with it. You know, it's not it, it's not something I'd want to see in like the pages of Batman Monthly. Yeah, because I will but, say like Gotham kind of looked like it was made of gingerbread <laughs> almost. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but I wasn't necessarily looking for fables to make a return. But Batman versus Bigby number one is a welcome start to one. I'm giving this a buy it. I really enjoyed it. Like I. I loved fables and I know that like looking back at it now, uh, years removed from it, people are pointing out like, uh, look, at there are some dodgy politics going on here with Bill Williams, political leanings, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I, I loved the world of fables and the story that it ultimately told over its 150 issues and sliding back into it with this issue felt 
good. Yeah. Like it, Willingham didn't, hasn't missed a beat. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I, whether or not you agree with Bill Willingham's politics, you cannot argue that the guy is a good writer. I mean, he's good at writing this stuff and yep. this could have very easily been a cash grab. Why are we doing this now? Do we need this shit question? And it's not at all. It was very well written. The art is good. I do agree. This version of Gotham looked very fables to me. Not so much as fables coming to Gotham, <laughs> but right. I, I really liked it. I'm giving this a buy it as well. It was, it was just fun. Yeah. And you know, uh, speaking of like what you said about how it doesn't feel like just a crash, a, a crash, uh, how it doesn't feel like just a quick cash grab. Like this is setting up an actual return to the fables monthly series. Yeah. Uh, so like they're this this is they're making an effort. This they mean it. Which apparently they live in the same black label universe as super, black label Superman and black label Batman. I guess. Well, we don't know if I black label Superman lives here. Who <laughs> yeah. knows? I guess. Yeah. There's no rules. It's black label. Who? Yeah. All no we know. Rules, just right. Batman's just like Outback dick Steakhouse. is definitely there. <laughs> That's all we know. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in here is Batman's dick. You got that straight. My second book from last week is Deathstork Incorporated. Pardon me. Deathstroke Incorporated. Number one from DC. It's $3.99. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter. Here is your solicit. After suffering too many losses, Slade Wilson decides it's time for a change. When he's enlisted to work with an ages old secret organization that we've just heard of called Trust. T period R period you you get it who want to take down the heavy hitter villains he's all in they'll supply him with an all new team and resources for his new mission into the depths of the weirdest parts of the DCU including a new partner Black Canary wait what that's what it says enjoy explosions kick ass action and new outrageous adventures as DC's meanest SOB gets tangled up in a major mystery building in the shadows of the DCU I fell off the last Deathstroke series by Christopher Priest, but apparently it ended with Slade Wilson deciding, you know what? I'm going to be a good guy. Well, there's also some stuff, you know, we kind of have to allow for some stuff we haven't read. Sure. Like the Batman, the Urban Legends anthology book, I think, set up some of this. Well, the uh, Infinite Frontier of, may have also set up some of it. The majority of his, his face turn was a build up yeah. through that Priest series. So, or yeah, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. He's still the completely ridiculous badass he's always been. See the panel of him standing in a de-engineered Batmobile, spraying bullets from a high-tech bullet hose. But now he's looking to clean up his act. It's a Gatling gun, man. It's called a Gatling gun. <laughs> it didn't look like one to me. With a new organization that no one knows much about. Black Canary is here for reasons that are set up in Batman Urban Legends number six. Thanks, Infobox. I'm not sure why Canary would trust Slade, who has been the ultimate bad guy forever, or a new secretive group called Trust, which stands for Transparent Researchers United for Strategy and Technology. Quite the reach there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That will, of course, turn I, out to be I nefarious. Have, you I have read way worse in comics oh, sure. in terms of secret organizations. But you cannot name a group trust and not expect us to know that they're completely evil. Well, and they don't expect <laughs> right? us to they don't expect us to believe it. Uh, it's clear by the end of this. I issue suppose so. Uh, I suppose yeah. so. But Williamson is having fun here going for a, a buddy cop superhero story featuring a new version of Hive that are literally bees. 
Joe Patrick and I had a discussion of this. Uh, yes. They didn't uh, used to be bees. Right? Okay, so uh, like reading this, uh, I read this issue last night, and what I gathered is that the bee thing is a new development. They talk about how they had been using the hive agents as incubators for right. those nanobots and or whatever. a new queen that obviously has powers. Uh, so this there, yeah, there's this character called the Hive Queen uh, who, like... Nothing to do with Hive, who was basically just AIM or Hydra with a different kind of suit. Yeah, that was just her name. Uh, and Hive and, stood for something, I'm sure. Yeah, right. And, you know, they fought the Teen Titans, whatever. Um, this is like they're leaning big time into the bug stuff, um, which is definitely new to THM no prize if you can lay on us what Hive stands for. It's not a no prize if it's accurate. It's a no prize if you come up with a reason why it's why your mistake works. Yeah, but, you know, we can give no prizes for whatever we want. Fair enough. I mean, we could easily Google it also. So yeah, don't, I'm not going to do know, that. It's Lay it not, on us. It's not that much. Lay it on you us. Know, it's not that special. Your knowledge isn't that special. The new queen sprays honey from her hands, and another character has a beehive for a head and a spigot that pours honey for her bee children to eat that sticks yeah. out of his chest. It was gross. It was friggin' gross. And Howard Porter's art makes it look sticky and visceral and even more gross. I kind of hated looking at it, to be honest. <laughs> I, yeah, but I think that was kind of the point. No, I get it. I'm not saying it's bad art. I just kind of yeah, yeah. hated looking at it. Sure. Yeah, right. Outside of the ridiculous character intros and even more ridiculous insect people taking over a small town story, that's summed up in a nice, neat little package before the end. There isn't a whole lot to be said other than this is dumb, 90s-inspired comic book fun. And that's not an insult, but I'm also not clamoring to see where this one goes. I had a similar reaction to Fast 9. Was it fun? Sure. Was it good? Not really. I'd like to see something a little headier for Slade, closer to what Priest was doing, and a little further from Fast 9. I'm giving it a skimmit. Oh, see, I really liked this. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's weird and ridiculous and extreme, but I, I like that's what I want from a, a Deathstroke book. Like Deathstroke is a sure. ridiculous character. No, that, um, I agree. I, and, and Hive is a silly, stupid idea. And the fact that they've taken Hive, which is already just a generic, you know, Hydra or AIM or Secret Empire for the DC universe, and then added this bug theme, which is gross uh and made it doubly ridiculous like yeah i want i want bullet hoses and uh you know extreme kung fu action and sure. black canary blasting the heads off of wasps nest men uh and uh i really enjoyed this howard porter's art is when you think about what that guy's gone through the journey that that guy's gone on, oh, for gone sure. on yeah um, no question his, his style had, has uh, definitely changed but it it's it's partially him relearning how to draw. He had to literally. yes, due to due to some health issues many years ago, he had to basically learn to draw again from scratch. Uh, and while his style is still similar, like I Matt and I were texting back and forth about this last night, and I showed him, or maybe two nights ago, and I showed him like some art. Uh, we were trying to figure out who the hive queen was. Is she Queen Bee? Queen Bee is a different character. And I was like, here's a picture of Queen Bee from the Morrison and Porter JLA from 20 years ago. Uh, and the art is uh, very different, yep. but you can still see like in the faces, especially like, Oh, this is still very much Howard. Porter. Oh, definitely. And um, I just think that uh, for him to come back as strong as he has is a miraculous journey. And he is an amazing talent. Um, and he's the sort of guy where it's like, we talked to some about Joe Bennett with all that stuff going on with that guy. And we're going to talk about him uh, in a couple of weeks because the finale of immortal Hulk is coming out. 
he's uh, one of those artists that have been around forever and they've only gotten better and yeah. they haven't gotten dated or worse. Howard Porter is in that category Definitely. for me. Definitely. And uh, I thought this was just a stunningly drawn issue. Uh, the story is whatever. Uh, the yeah. story is goofy fun. I don't really need Deathstroke being a good guy, but I also don't hate it. Uh, and so I'm just down for whatever Christopher, whatever roller coaster Christopher Priest wants to put us on. So this is a buy it for me. This isn't Christopher Priest. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not. Oh, it's Joshua Williamson. Joshua it? Williamson. And my next question sorry, is Joshua Williamson. what's your over under on how long Joshua Williamson is on this title? Because he's writing at least 15 different DC titles right now. Is this an ongoing or a mini? I guess it depends. This is an ongoing. On whether or not this is an ongoing. Um, probably not too long. I don't know. Yeah, four we'll, issues. We'll, four issues. I'm saying. You want the over? Or you want the under? I'll take the over. I okay. think it's more than four issues. Okay. We'll because I think the first arc is going to be more than four. Issues. Nerd bet. We'll see. Nerd bet on. Moving on, we've got Inferno number one from Marvel. It was five dollars and ninety nine cents. Written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Valerio Skeedy. Here's your solicit. The culmination of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men begins here. There will be an island. Not the first, but the last. Dot, dot, dot. Promises were made and broken. The rulers of Krakoa have been playing a dangerous game with a dangerous woman, and they are about to see how badly that can burn them because it's an inferno. Get it? Mastermind of the X-Men, Jonathan Hickman, brings his plans to a head, joined by an incredible lineup of artists, beginning with Valerio Skeedy, as one woman follows through on her promise to burn the nation of Krakoa to the ground again because it's an inferno. Do you get it? No. Okay. <laughs> I thought the inferno was like demons and Madeline Pryor. And a well, thong. there might be demons. We don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> Where's Madeline Pryor? Where's her thong? Where's her butt cheeks, know. Joe? Come on. <laughs> hey, the, 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 she does have a surprising lack of butt cheeks. Yes, that's true. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Without sliding any of the writers currently doing very good work on the X titles, there's nothing quite like a book written by the man himself. I almost forgot that he'd been missing from the line for a while, and now he's back to wrap up his first act. Don't worry, he'll be back. Hickman takes us back to the Hox and Pox era, expanding what we know or what we think we know about Orcus, Moira's multiple lives, and Krakoa itself. We're shown an extended version of the event that sets off this titular inferno, Destiny's prophecy, and Moira's murder at the hands of the Brotherhood. Revisiting this scene is even more chilling than it was the first time, and it leads to the moment we've all been expecting, and Hickman still puts an unexpected spin on the expected. Say that five times fast. Yeah, no doubt. I don't even know what the, you just. I don't even know what you just said. But. Okay, great. Uh, that <laughs> right. that isn't to, that isn't to say that it's all rehashing previous stories. Inferno number one still sits up plenty of new developments or looks at things in a new way. Uh, we see the appointment of a new captain commander following Cyclops's return to the X-Men field team and uh, props to the character. I'm a big time, long time fan of him. Matt hates him. Uh, Whatever. I love him. <laughs> just don't understand what he does. I know. You know exactly what he does. It's <laughs> easy. It's, it it's, make any it's sense. simple. Uh, Valerio Skeedy and color artist David Curiel recreate the beautiful visual style established by Pepe Larraz, RB Silva and Marte Gracia. This issue is absolutely stunning. Uh, Inferno number one, Kicks off the event we've been waiting for since the dawn of X, and I absolutely can't wait to see what happens next. It's a huge buy it. I, I very much like this, and it's a buy it for me. I want to get that out of the way. Did you feel like this storyline all of a sudden, just like this Orca stuff and the Moira stuff, just all of a sudden popped back into the X universe? Because like 
we've been dealing with all this other crap with the Scarlet Witch and like, and none of that's even mentioned here. Like there's yeah, no um, mention whatsoever. Magneto's here hanging out. No big deal. We're dealing with something else, you know? Yes. And uh, people have, uh, people have been talking about that. And I believe Marvel actually did address uh, the order of these events. Okay. Like, Cause it, it left you, me scratching my head a little bit. Like when is this taking place? Yeah. Um, I, and I'm sorry, I forgot to make a note of it, but it, it's out there if you search for it, but yeah, Marvel knows. And there is a distinct order to how these events are going down. And I'm sure there is. Um, it's just, in so the, in like the wake it, it, of, it's not, yeah, no, I mean, it's not meant to be read as though like trial of Magneto is actually happening at the same time see, as Inferno and is. Happening. I, and maybe it's my fault. I, I could be totally wrong, but I thought, oh, and also the onslaught, shit yeah like i these are these are all happening in some sort of succession i very much thought that the onslaught thing and the trial of magneto were lead-ups to inferno but it kind of seems like i mean i don't know i was gonna say the hellfire gala was a lead-up to inferno but that was a lead-up to the trial of magneto so well but i mean as we as we know from reading the onslaught revelation two weeks ago that stuff is over that like wrapped up in the in that issue so um I, I, yeah i i think um i think things have been building to inferno uh but again you can double check i didn't make the note and i don't want to take time to pause the it show it does kind of feel I, it's unavoidable i think yeah to feel like this is a little out of place and they stuck some stuff in before it but that i also is not don't a fault of this book and i this also is the x story that i am very very interested in Right. You know? uh, and I also I also don't necessarily agree that the Orcus stuff is coming back out of nowhere because I think that they have been pushing that forward. No, I, I here in there for two years now, Gently, it's been uh, especially popping. in Jerry yeah. Duggan's X-Men. Uh, like yes. uh, uh, there's been a bunch of Orcus stuff in the first few issues of the new X-Men book. Yeah, it's just it's been gently popping up. I don't disagree. I just think the position of the trial of Magneto and this feels a little wonky. I, it's true. And, and Marvel, Marvel honestly, hears you and you're, you're not wrong. They are not meant, uh, they are m- not meant to be uh, occurring simultaneously. Right. And quite honestly, after that last trial of Magneto book, I was just like, what is even happening? <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, this is a buy it. Hickman is so good at this big heady stuff. And I think this is going to be a lot better executed than the X of sword stuff that drove you insane. I very much enjoyed it. I get why people would be like, oh, this is exhausting. Right. I totally get it. <laughs> so here it is. Uh, here it is. Uh, while you were talking, I did a quick Google. Uh, uh, this is a quote from a Marvel spokesperson to Newsarama. Inferno largely takes place after the events of X-Men, the trial of Magneto. So you could just, uh, you could just uh, assume that everything works out for Magneto. Spoiler. Needs. Yeah. Magneto is not guilty. <laughs> like It's like if we all of a sudden got this like, Hertz rent a car commercial where OJ Simpson's back, you know, and like, wait, the trial's not over yet. Like, it, it, don't it aired, worry. It aired, it aired in the, it aired on C-SPAN uh, or, uh, in like, the, during the commercial break from the trial. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, yeah. I mean, Marvel gets it and they're like, look, you know, these things are bound to happen and I get it, but wait order. a month, you guys. Come I get on. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. But they have addressed it. Um, and I, I will say at least, though it is kind of a huge uh, spoiler to know that Magneto comes out of the trial unscathed. Yeah, we already knew that he wasn't so guilty. There, there you go. I mean, so that, whatever. That's the end of my trial, Magneto boner. See ya. 
you know. <laughs> you didn't have one to begin with. I did. I thought Magneto was going to get the chair. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We led a life of luxury. That is, until I gave birth to a mutant son. Let's move on to this week. So I can talk about DC Horror Presents. Colon. Soul Plumber. Number one. It's $3.99. This is written by Marcus Parks. Henry Zabrowski and Ben Kissel with art by John McRae. Here's your solicit from the creators of the last podcast on the left. Exorcism just got a whole lot easier. After attending a seminar hosted in a hotel conference room by a mysterious group called the Soul Plumbers, Edgar Wiggins, I wanted to say it like Soul Train, the Soul Plumbers, Edgar <laughs> Wiggins, disgraced former seminary school student, discovers what he thinks is the secret to delivering souls from the thrall of Satan. But after stealing the blueprints and building the machine himself out of whatever he can afford from his salary as a gas station attendant, Edgar misses the demon and instead pulls out an interdimensional alien with dire consequences for all of mankind. You know, like one does. I mean, it's a tale as little as time, right? The hosts of the last podcast on the left aren't known for watching their language, but they're pulling out all the stops in this script, and it gets pretty damn offensive pretty fast. I get they were going for this tone, but the shock value wears off pretty fast as well. I kind of wish they had spent just a little more time on the plot rather than paragraphs of filth that take up almost entire pages. The setup is great, but it did leave me with some questions. Obviously, the guy running the Soul Plumber Traveling Seminar does have a machine. He does reach his arm into what looks to be a different dimension, and he pulls something out in front of the crowd. But he then reveals the machine is just a scam. <laughs> the solicit spoils a key plot point that does happen on the last page, but is not explained. Maybe they're going to get there. But if all of this is a scam, why does the machine work at all, is my question. <laughs> I have a response to that. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, okay. McRae's style on the book reminds me of his hitman work, cranked up to 11. His shading is insane and scratchy. Characters are almost disgusting caricatures that match the tone of the writing perfectly, and some of it is a little hard to look at, frankly. The setup is good, but the filthy dialogue almost seems like filler for a story that they may explain in the next issue, but left me with some questions after this first issue. Why does the device work? I'm giving this a skim it. <laughs> uh, so they never say that the device doesn't work. They say that people can't figure out how to make it work. Sure. Um, and so obviously this device is something. And I don't know, like, I'm not sure where this traveling huckster got the plans or right. whatever. And, and I'm um, sure they'll explain that. I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah. So like he thinks it's a get rich scheme to to um, pull one over on the rubes. Right. But um, but he does put his arm into a portal. It, it clearly does something. Right. It and just his arm doesn't disappears. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it just doesn't do well. See, that's just it. I don't know if it does. It because does. Later on. I, I know at the that. Panel I, right. Sure. And, and I know that at first it looks like it does, but later in the, later on in the panel where, uh, when, um, what's his name? What's the guy's name? The main Derek? character. I don't even remember. Yeah. 
Edgar. There was so uh, much filth that I don't even remember the main it's, character. Yeah, it's Edgar. <laughs> um, later on in the issue, when Edgar does it, you see his arm going th- through the hole, but also it comes through the hole on the other side and into the guy's body. Right. So you see the arm on both sides of the of the device. So uh, that part is unclear. Um, but anyway, so this this huckster thinks he's got something he can make money off of. Sure. Uh, but clearly it is some sort of dangerous uh, mystical or whatever device and uh, paranormal paranormal device. And v- Edgar figures out how to make it work with trash. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, yeah. Because or he thinks he's make being, something even more dangerous out of trash. Right. Or he, well, he, like he, they also talk about that because he feels like he's being guided by the divine hand of God and right. he picks things out of the junk that just feel right like a toilet seat and whatever but they do not address um, what he pulls out and v- the solicits like it's yet, an alien yeah, it's just an alien yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh and yeah like so i i when i read that um i was i was confused uh because um the character that's with edgar on the cover i thought was some sort of demon or monster sidekick uh it is not it is just some guy he knows who has no face yep well he doesn't Uh, know he's missing part of his face due to some reason uh the the war whatever um and uh and he worships an especially filthy facebook yeah he's uh he's joined some (laughs) kind of online cult um he like for me like I don't know. I kind of went with it. Uh, like I, I was expecting it to be outrageous. I was expecting it to be very like Garth Ennisy kind of turned up to 11 dumb, weird uh, shock value dialogue. Sure. And I was fine with it. Um, yes. Uh, the alien stuff, maybe don't address that in, this, in the solicit because we don't know what happens at the end of the first issue. Right. Like, come on guys. Um, we know that the machine works because Edgar looks into the portal and sees into the guy's soul. And so like something's up like this machine is obviously something. uh, And uh, now it's in the hands of this idiot, this delusional idiot (laughs) and his best friend who is an equally delusional, um, dangerous idiot. And uh, I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. The art was great. I'm giving this a buy it. I mean, I can, I see what you're saying about like the, 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 the the dialogue being maybe a little bit much. I don't know. Maybe it just caught me in the right mood, but like I didn't, in the moment i wasn't put sure. off by it I, I guess i would argue that garth ennis can, knows how to push those boundaries and still like keep the story together and keep it in a place where it's like all right this isn't getting egregious <laughs> you know well right but i also i didn't find it egregious you know i, I like i i i i had no problems following the plot i'm like, trying I, not to cuss as much on the show anymore but i i literally cannot read examples of what was said no yeah no it's true it's true uh i mean and yeah it is uh, it's you know your mileage may vary it's uh, if your sensibilities are if your temperament's a little bit more sensitive you might not dig it right um but uh yeah it does go it does go full bore with the cursing and the and the uh yeah uh, foul imagery it becomes very um, obvious it's written by atheists very quick <laughs> oh yeah right yes and that is yeah that's another thing it's like oh this is very and this uh, is me speaking as an atheist like i'm on your team guys <laughs> like yeah on, no like this maybe. is very clearly like poking fun at yeah, organized maybe we dial it from 12 just down to 10 you know that's all i'm saying <laughs> but yeah no i liked this uh i didn't know what it was going into it it was a buy it um once again here we are it's under dc horror 
not even black label. Like why? I don't know. Who I knows? Don't understand. And it's not Hill House. It's it's new. Uh, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's not like I don't even want to spend any more time thinking about it. I'm just noting it for the record. DC horror colon title insert here uh, is uh, yet another new thing where anything goes. Yeah. Except apparently superhero dicks. I feel like they didn't even announce this, by the way. Just They're just like DC horror. And we're supposed to go. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, right. I, I I think they announced it just uh, for the Conjuring book. They yeah, put yeah, right. Like no, I mean, but not even as like an announcement. Just just in the sense that like they solicited books under the title DC Horror right. colon. Yeah, I, I believe the Conjuring was the first one, but I don't know. I, it, way to go, guys! I, I'm all for it. I love horror comics. Let's do it. But maybe pick maybe, something and stick to it. That's all I'm saying, DC. Just pick something. And stick to it, all right? Maybe that one's got Patrick Wilson's dick. We don't know. I hope so. He's a good-looking guy. (laughs) My first pick for this week is Amazing Spider-Man 75 from Marvel. It is also $5.99. It's uh, as Inferno was, not as Soul Palmer was. It's written by Zeb Wells. They're like 48 people. Yeah, they're beefy. Yeah, beefy, big, beefy boys. Uh, it's written by Zeb Wells and Kelly Thompson with art by Patrick Gleason, Travel Foreman, and Ivan Fiorelli. Here's your solicit. Amazing Spider-Man is back to thrice monthly. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Because this story is pure jet fuel. Ben Riley has returned to NYC and has fully taken back the mantle of Spider-Man. But what does this mean for Peter Parker? The greatest team of web writers has come together with the most epic arachnid artists ever assembled to bring you a spider story that will shake up Spider-Man's 59th year in ways you cannot predict. I knew you were going to run out of breath on that one. That was too much. You, you flew I too tried. close to the sun. <laughs> uh, just a scant week after Nick Spencer resolved his three-year kindred epic, A Brand New Day dawns for the wall crawler. <laughs> All we really know going in is that Spidey's been through some serious stuff. Try not to cuss. His best friend is, spoilers, dead, spoilers, again. And Ben Riley is coming back. We also knew from some solicited covers that Peter was going to get pretty messed up at some point. Uh, well, uh, I, I was expecting it to happen at the end of uh, uh, the Kindred arc. I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought that sure. story was going to end with Peter in the hospital. Yeah, I thought he's coming out of that like mess or like in a coma or something. I don't right. know. Right. But, uh, you know mild spoiler that is not the case or like it's got a goiter it's so gross <laughs> like it's a wicked goiter you think a goiter normal goiter is bad wait yeah. until you've got an irradiated blood goiter you got like a quado coming out of your neck you know? like, <laughs> well the actual execution of those vents is something i won't spoil but suffice it to say that i didn't see it coming after three years of failing to connect with spencer's run this issue read like a breath of fresh air to me Zeb Wells writes the lead story and proves that he belongs behind the Spidey writer's desk with strong characterization and snappy dialogue. Wells is able to distinguish between the voices of Peter Parker and his clone, and each one is on a compelling journey. Plus, it's the return of the UFOs, and who doesn't love those jerks? I mean, I I could not believe that's where we ended up. (laughs) I know. We're also treated to a couple of short stories foreshadowing the year ahead, including one connecting Ben to the Daughters of the Dragon, written by Kelly Thompson. Quick note about the art on that one. Travel Foreman uh, draws it, and while it's fine, something's happened to Travel Foreman's art has changed, right? I agree. 
Okay. I don't want to talk about uh, it anymore, it, but I agree. This is it's, coming it's from a, somebody li- like, who loved it, Travel Foreman. Yeah. I, I just mean it's it's different. It's different and not really in I'm a way that I enjoy. Tomorrow we're going to read the uh, kicked in the head by a horse and we're going to feel like shitheads, you know? Oh, boy. <laughs> like, uh, again, it's it's very, like, artists evolve and he's a very talented artist yes. even still. It's just, uh, it's a far cry from his work on projects we've talked about, we've raved about. I hope it's just like, a choice. I'll say that. I hope yeah. it's a choice. Right, right. Lead artist Patrick Gleason is doing the work of his life here. His story is absolutely gorgeous. And the styles run the gamut from comedy to superhero action and even horror. There were some pages and panels that I just had to stop and stare at for a while. Specifically, there is one small panel in a page of of, packed with other panels where Spider-Man is crouched on top of like a chimney or something. Uh, and, uh, he's, you know, he's in that Spider-Man hunch and he's got his kind of arm up and he's in shadow and it looks like he looks scary almost. And if I didn't know it was Spider-Man, I'd be like, Ooh, watch out for that guy. (laughs) But that's the, that's, that's the fun thing about like. Spider-Man is scary to a lot of people. Because well, he should spider, be creepy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause spiders are creepy and scary. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like this, and he nails it. Patrick Gleason nailed it uh, in this issue. The twist of Ben Riley's return is really interesting. And it looks like this will be a fun ride to Spidey's 60th anniversary next year. Amazing Spider-Man 75 gets a buy it. I loved it. I, I've gone on record several times saying I do not care about Ben Riley, And I don't. But I will say the way that they wrote Ben Riley into this is so smart and fun. And you instantly go, God damn it, Ben Riley's such a nice guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I just want to like a real quick note. Like there are some things, there are some setups uh, to this issue that you may not have caught. Um, last issue had a short story um, where Ben Riley's lady friend Janine gets released from prison. Uh, Janine was first introduced in the pages of Spider-Man, the lost years. Oh boy. Um, which was a mini series drawn by John Romita jr. In the nineties. Uh, that was all about Ben Riley's life on the road <laughs> after he left, after he survived the clone, the original clone saga Rough and times. lived a life out of New York city. Um, also apparently the free comic book day issue, which I don't even know when was free comic book day, the end of August. Yeah, it was the end of August. Uh, like, like if you didn't make it to a comic book store, I don't even know if you can find it online. Probably not. Um, but there was a setup a story to this Ben Riley stuff in that as well. It's not important. So there were a couple of, they there were a couple of things. Well, sort of, but there are a couple of things like who is Janine? Like they don't really go into that in, in this issue. I just figured it was um, something I hadn't read from the last Ben Riley in Las yeah, Vegas or um, the hell he was. Was he the Scarlet yeah, Spider? He was, it was Ben Riley was the Scarlet spider in that book right yes okay. uh correct but uh she janine was not from that run um okay. but yeah i mean uh, ben riley has come a long way since his uh most recent return like he was responsible for the uh clone conspiracy storyline if you remember that yes. he was the new jackal basically he was uh, Wait. he went he went yes he I went a little revealed he was a clone of ben riley that was the new jackal um i don't remember exactly we'll have to look it i don't think really it was matter. actually ben right no we'll i think it was that. actually no i think it actually was ben because he then went on to star in that scarlet spider ongoing series not the one that starred kane but the more recent one that was written by peter david that right. was about ben riley living in las vegas that's what i'm thinking of 
Yes, um, but the clone conspiracy was before that. It was before that during Dan Slott's Spider-Man. Right. No, I knew, regardless, I, I don't care about Ben Riley. Anyway, so I don't know uh, why Ben Riley's gone. This. He's gone on a trip. Is all I'm saying. Regardless, Zeb Wells. Is, none of it, and none of it matters. Zeb Wells is one of the most underrated writers at Marvel. I'm saying it. Zeb Wells is great, and I he's agree. quietly writing excellent comics. I love that he's on this. I kind of hate that it's coming out three times a month because I think that's tough for people that are spending their money on comic books. And now suddenly you have to triple your Spider-Man budget. That's difficult. And I think it's a rude decision on Marvel's part, but they're also trying to squeeze this in before the 60th anniversary stuff happens. I get that too, but you know, maybe in the kindred shit a little earlier. Cause that nobody cared. Nobody cared. Yeah. I mean, in, in not, not in defense, but, um, just to kind of argue the other side a little bit, uh, you know, if it will depend on how Marvel handles this, if they stick to three times a month with amazing Spider-Man and that's it, no more extra shit, then that's one thing because oh. we were already getting twice a month plus specials and tying in. You know, they can't resist. You know, they can't. I know it will depend. <laughs> it will depend. That's a huge buy it from me though. It, it really was a breath of fresh air. It, it felt good to read Spider-Man again. I really liked it. And I'm not yep. saying Nick Spencer Spider-Man was terrible. It wasn't terrible. Nick Spencer loved Spider-Man. I'm not just trashing Nick Spencer. Spencer. I just did not give a crap about that kindred crap. It didn't do anything for me. Well, and you know, as we've learned with Straczynski, uh, it's come out that uh, the story we got might not necessarily have been the story we started with. That's true. That, so, so who knows? I feel like right. Nick Spencer had a lot more freedom. Maybe. I don't know. I hope. I don't know either. I mean, well, I mean, we'll never know for yeah, sure. We'll never know. This is start. Moving back to DC because uh, they paid me a lot of money this week, folks. I'll admit it. Let's talk about Arkham City, the Order of the World. Number one from DC. It was $3.99. It was written by Dan Waters with art by Danny. Just Danny. Here's your solicit. Danny Waters? Nope. No relation to Dan? Just Danny. Just Danny. All right. The Joker's attack on Arkham Asylum left the long-standing Gotham establishment in ruin. I'd argue it's been fucked up for a long time. Most of the patients killed or missing, and only a handful of surviving staff, a few nurses, a gravely injured security guard, and one doctor. In the chaos of the assault, it is believed that several of the asylum's patients escaped and scurried off into the dark nooks and crannies of Gotham City. I can't stand nooks or crannies. They terrify me. Now, these Arkhamites walk among us, and it's up to the asylum's one remaining doctor, Jocasta Joy, quite the name, to round up her former patients. Meet these Arkhamites, a woman with no face, a piggy in search of perfection, a man who feels nothing and burns everything, a woman who must devour life to save herself, a man unfit for the waking world who looks instead for Wonderland. A body with more than one soul. A being unbound from time who lives in the present and the past. A boy who seeks the comfort of vermin. And the twisted man who sees them all for who they are. And also the Mad Hatter. He's in there. Uh, 
All right. He was the uh, man of the one Viking of world who looks into oh, all right. Wonderland. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wonderland. Okay. And witness the avenging angel who stalks them this fall. Join writer Dan Waters and artist Danny on an odyssey through the deepest depths. I can't say it any other way. Through the deepest depths and darkest shadows of Gotham City and find all new reasons to fear the night. Dang, another impressive solicit. I'd say that. Dan Waters definitely wrote that. It is hard to know when anything is taking place in the Batman Future State titles, so don't feel bad if you were confused when you read this one. A-Day, or Arkham Day, was the attack on Arkham Asylum in the pages of DC Infinite Frontier Zero that set up Gotham, privatizing security and inviting the magistrate to take over for the cops, which is happening now, but already happened in last summer's Future State event. (laughs) So, buckle up. I mean, it's called Future State. (laughs) I guess. I don't recommend trying to put together the continuity of the Bat Future State titles as it barely makes sense, but if you can look past that, again, there's a solid story here. Dan Waters and his artist partner, Danny, from their image horror book Coffin Bound, tell a sympathetic story. That's where I recognize this. Of the inmates Uh, that got away on A-Day and what Gotham has in store for them. Waters isn't shying away from the fact that the escapees are murderers and they are profoundly disturbed, but writes Jocasta Joy as a character that truly cares about these inmates and blames herself for not being there on the day of the attack. She wants to help because somebody has to. There's a nice setup for a possible connection between all these escapees as well. Danny's art is somewhere between... Frank Miller and Eduardo Rizzo with huge, thick black lines and heavy shading that give the story this lunatic fever dream quality that it needs. Her work on the Ten-Eyed Man in this book was exceptionally creepy. I did not like it. (laughs) It's unsettling, yeah. At first glance, I thought this was going to be another extreme, dark Joker story, but Waters took my expectations and turned them on their head. This is creepy, for sure, but there is a compelling mystery here, excellent art, and I might just be on board to see who we're rooting for, but I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, uh, you know... The Arkham stuff has worn out its welcome as far as I'm concerned. It's as bad as the Joker. In the Batman. It's as bad as the Joker. It's just, I mean, I get it. I get it. Arkham is a bad place. Bad things happen. It's a dangerous house built on dangerous ground. Grant Morrison already said it better than anybody ever could. And there's this funny joke in this where they're like, well, we got no place to take him but Blackgate. And like, we ain't got no special treatment there. Like, oh yeah, it was so much better in Arkham. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, right. This very much reminded me of Dan Slott's Arkham Asylum Living Hell not in terms of the content or the story, but of the spirit uh, in, in the sense that that story was about Arkham and its villains, but don't worry about the Joker popping up. Don't worry about seeing Batman. This is about characters you've never heard of, or you don't see very often uh, and being super duper creepy and gross and just kind of an unexpected spin on a very familiar setting. Um, and so I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't just yeah. another Arkham is corrupt and the Joker this and blah blah blah. Uh, it's it was different. There's it was a sympathetic it was vibe scary. to it. I mean, yeah. Um, the art is tremendous. The art is tremendous. It really um, is. the uh, Danny uh, coffin bound. I couldn't get into. I didn't really care for it. Um, 
not because of the art at all. The art here, uh, I think, is even better than it was in Coffinbound. You're spot on with your comparison uh, to uh, Frank Miller and uh, Eduardo Rizzo. I also kind of felt like uh, a Victor Campos vibe. Oh, Oh, yeah. Santos. You're thinking of Victor Santos. No, Victor Santos is... uh, you're right. Couldn't remember who it was, but yeah, it's Victor Santos um, who does this very kind of like um, shadow heavy, a lot of negative black space yeah. uh, defining the shapes uh, vibe. Love that guy. And um, this book had that in spades. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and haunting and disturbing and gross. This 10 eyed man is not okay. It's not okay. No. Uh, In the the best way though. Right. Like, and so if you're going to do a horror tinged book in the Batman universe, I guess Arkham is really your best bet. And uh, this kind of fit right in. And I thought it was great. It's a buy it from me. Our final review of the week goes to a righteous thirst for vengeance. Number one from image comics. It's three 99. It's written by Rick Remender with art by Andre Lima Araujo. Here's your solicit. A new ongoing crime series from the writer of deadly class. When an unassuming man stumbles upon a dark web contract, assassins vicious plot to kill an innocent target. He turns himself into one. The professional meets road to perdition. In this story of a family's unlikely guardian being hunted by rich and powerful men who are used to getting away with everything. Uh, Join those two guys I just mentioned for a uniquely atmospheric murder mystery with sudden bouts of brutal violence. And boy, you know what? Ain't that the truth? One of the reasons I want to read the solicits is because they mention the other stuff these guys work on. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, Rick Remender, of course, Deadly Class, Black Science, many Marvel books like The Uncanny X-Force. Uh, Andre Lima Araujo did Generation Gone. He did a book called Man Plus. He also did um, Avengers, whatever Avengers book uh, spun out of Age of Ultron with like the all robot Avengers. It was like Vision and the robot kid from the Runaways. He drew that. Hank Pym, I think, was in it. Anyway, he's fantastic. Generation Gone. Check it out. Now, I almost didn't pick this book. Uh, I saw the obvious homage to actor Benedict Wong in the main character's design. It's right there on the cover. My brain connected it to Deadly Class, the TV show, and then Deadly Class, the comic, which I am way behind on. Uh, But I'm so glad I went with my gut because this was great. Also, nothing to do with Deadly Class. Remender's script is intentionally light on dialogue, leaving Andre Araujo's unbelievable arc to do the bulk of the storytelling. Was it Avengers uh, which, AI? It was Avengers AI. Avengers AI. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Avengers Next is something totally different. That isn't to say that the story itself is slight because that couldn't be farther from the truth. This issue is full of amazing detail that will reward the attentive reader. I implore you to pay attention when you read. <laughs> A seemingly innocuous encounter propels our protagonist toward a truly chilling series of events, and it's all beautifully depicted without caption boxes or thought balloons. We're never explicitly told what the characters are thinking. Instead, we're shown through an impressive depiction of body language and facial expression. A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance number one was an unexpected surprise. To say anything more about the plot would spoil it completely. Uh, I'm so glad I picked it up for review this week. This is a huge buy it. I was was very impressed. Yeah, this was excellent. 
This was just, this is, and not, it felt very unremender. You know what I mean? Like he let it breathe. Kind of, yeah. It was kind of the anti-Rick Remender, yeah. Right. It, it, he let it breathe a little bit. It very much reminded me of like David Lapham's Stray Bullets, where it starts off sure. very innocent, and it just seems like, well, oh, this is kind of a nice slice of life. I sort of like that character. Oh, wow, something really terrible just happened. <laughs> and, yeah. And it hooks you in immediately. I can't say enough about the art. Oh my God, this is beautiful. And not in a flashy sort of, you know, comic book superhero kind of way, just excellent. Just very detailed, thought out. Remender lets Araujo, Araujo, Araujo? I don't know. You keep saying Remender wrong. So why start bothering now? Is it Remender or Remender? I've heard him say It's Rick Remender. It's not Remender. It's Remender. I can't remember how it's pronounced, okay? Uh, Araujo, he just lets him tell the story. And he does such an excellent job in these really simple panels. You know, there's like a three panel thing that happens with a bird that's dying that just grabs you it was so well done and that's the that scene has the most dialogue in the book it really does yeah no this was <laughs> excellent it, it's good to have remender back and i i know there was some shit recently that went on between him and an artist and i hope it was settled and it seemed kind of soap opery and we don't really know what was going on i think it was much ado about nothing i think I it think was so the artist too. being all blustery for nothing i yeah, think but. so i i think that was taken care of although some friends of ours did scream about it on twitter but anyway <laughs> <laughs> it's what it is. I'm giving this a huge bump. That was quite the pile, Joey, but now we have to pick a book to be bagged, boarded, and sorted into the THN permanent collection by our Moloid underlings, of course, who better be monitoring my weekly sorting updates that I put out on our internal Slack because things change a lot. All right. After that annual bullshit last week, I freaked out and renumbered a bunch of shit. <laughs> uh, once again, uh, a tough choice because I really liked several things uh, from this week. I thought a righteous thirst for vengeance was uh, just a, a stunning first issue. Um, I really liked uh, I really liked that Arkham City book. Um, Deathstroke Inc. was weird and quirky and fun, uh, but I think I'm giving it to an Inferno, of course, Inferno. Um, but I'm giving it to Amazing Spider-Man 75 because it's been three years since I was really invested in an ongoing Spider-Man title, and I feel like I'm hooked back in. Totally fair. And I missed it. I'm going to go with The Righteous Thirst for Vengeance because it, it just took me by surprise. Yeah, there's, there's no wrong answer here. And as much as I love that writer, this was not what I thought we were going to get from him. It really surprised me, and I'm yeah. excited for more. Want to read along with THN? You can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and our Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. And don't forget to check our Instagram feed to see our covers of the week every Wednesday. Also, let us know what you thought about these comics and everything you read on our live call-in show. That's THN cover to cover this Saturday on Facebook live from 11 a.m. to noon central time. You really got to stop putting central standard time in there because it's not always standard time. Yeah, it's central daylight time right now. It's central. Just put central time. I don't acknowledge daylight savings, so I don't do it. Well, it it acknowledges you, Matt. I'm like Arizona. I don't give no shits. 
All right. Well, then it is 11 a.m. to noon Central Time, unless you're Matt, and it is, I don't know, what time is it in Arizona? It's 11, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, okay. And that election, stolen. I don't care what you say. Okay. Okay. Me in Arizona, baby. As the seasons change, so do our tastes. So this week, in the Sanctum Sanctorum, we're cracking a Cassidy 20-year single malt Irish whiskey. Courtesy of our buddy Sean, you may know him better as the Banshee. Joe, while we're sipping Irish gold, tell these nerds what they should be reading next week, Wednesday, 10-13. Oh, I get it, Cassidy. Yeah, it's a Cassidy Irish whiskey. No, I got it, I got it. Next week, my pick must be the Immortal Hulk number 50 from Marvel Comics. It is $9.99. Oof. I assume it's uh, very big. Well, we'll, we'll I'm going to address that in just one second. Okay. Uh, it's written by Al Ewing with art by that guy I mentioned earlier that I just don't want to bring up again. Here's your solicit. The giant-sized finale. It's giant-sized. Bullet. Down in the below place, the Hulk searches among the ghosts of the past for the answers to all his questions. Bullet! The one below all, the green door, Samuel Stearns, Jackie McGee, and Bruce Banner. It's all been leading here. This is my favorite. Yeah, this is the best bullet ever. Bullet! This is the last issue of the Immortal Hulk. No shit. (laughs) Thanks, guys. So, uh, the Immortal Hulk has, uh, and we've said it many times, the, the Immortal Hulk has been one of, if not uh, the best books Marvel has put out over the last several years. Uh, and that is thanks uh, to the enormously talented uh, Al Ewing and his very unexpected, unique take on uh, Bruce Banner on his um, condition and on what causes uh, the link between all gamma creatures. And uh, it's really something. And uh, I'm not going to say that you should read this. If you haven't checked out Immortal Hulk, obviously you don't jump on with the last issue, but you're a moron if you do. (laughs) uh, (laughs) And I, and I am probably about a year behind on the Immortal Hulk. So I've got a lot of catching up to do by the time uh, I review this in two weeks. Uh, but I got plenty of time. I'm four issues and, behind, so I'm not worried about it. All right. Good on you. Um, but uh, I've just I've loved every second of this ride. Yeah. And um, I, I I'm sad to see it end. But I also know that it must end. This is the best and, Hulk run uh, that's ever been written. I, I, I'm just saying it. This is it. And, and we'll see how it, this we'll is see it. How it wraps up. But I mean, it's definitely in the top He's two. not going to like fumble the ball on the one yard. Line. No, I know. But uh, like uh, Peter David redefined the Hulk for an entire generation this of is better of, than that. Yeah. This is better than that. And I love I that know. Peter David I Hulk run. I love it. I this that. is better. I, I can't. I can't go there. I can't go there. But coward. I do love it. You're, I do love it. You're a coward. And um, yeah, I'm very excited to see what Ewing does in the finale. Well, my pick is not cowardly at all. It is E T E R. It's a one shot. Number it's one. Not cowardly. I picked it <laughs> from artists, writers, and artisans incorporated. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Jeff McCombsy and Dan Panosian, with art by Javier Polito, Sean Crystal, and Andrew Robinson. Here is your solicit. 
intergalactic virus liquefy one of your heads, feeling a bit off ever since you drove through that black hole? Then visit the ETER, the galaxy's leading medical facility. This interplanetary crew of doctors, nurses, paramedics, and technicians is uniquely qualified to cure what ails you. There's no planet too far, no asteroid too small, no patient too, well, alien. And they accept most forms of insurance. This supersized debut special includes two stories of medical madness that are out of this world. Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, remember, I remember reading about this. Yeah, this sounds awesome. And by the way, I know there's a bunch of trolls out there on the internet that hate Javier Polito. You're all idiots and completely wrong. And you don't know anything about comic book art. So shut up. All right. That's all I have to say about that. The uh, guy yeah, I mean, is a Javier genius. Polito is- all right. The THN trade of the week goes to Ultra Mega by James Heron. It's a trade paperback from Image Comics. It's 1999. It's written and drawn by, you guessed it, James Heron with colors by Dave Stewart. Here's the solicit. A cosmic plague has spread, transforming everyday people into violent, monstrous kaiju. Only the Ultra Mega, three individuals imbued with incredible powers, hold the line against this madness. Their battles level cities and leave untold horror in their wake. Now, the final reckoning approaches for the Ultra Mega, dot, dot, dot. But is this a war they can even win? Fight monsters and stand with humanity in this new Skybound original from the greatest artist of his generation. Wow. I hope James Heron. James Heron, <laughs> uh, also known for his work on Rumble and BPRD. I mean, I agree. He is fucking great. He's intensely uh, amazing. And Eisner award-winning colors, Dave Stewart, uh, duh, just duh, come on. Uh, Black Hammer, among the least of his many coloring uh, accomplishments. Uh, this collects Ultra Mega by James Heron, one through four. Matt reviewed number one of this on the show. It's super fun. James Heron is really great. Twitter Nerd episode um, 614. Bingo, bango, bongo. Go. Good job, editor. I'm looking forward to reading the complete story. Ultra Mega by James Heron. I love it when creators put the names in the titles yeah. just because like to me, to me, it kind of undercuts it. Like it really takes the rug out of their impressive sounding title, right. but in the funniest way. Oh, I know it's great. And, yeah. I, and I hope James Heron wrote this and just decided, yeah, I'm the best. That's <laughs> <laughs> me, James uh, Heron, the best. <laughs> uh, I mean, this kind of reads like Robert Hickman himself wrote it. It's very bombastic. Totally. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read. And don't forget to check out this month's Take a Look. It's in a book club read, Joe Hill's Basket Full of Heads. From the now defunct DC Hill House imprint. Not an imprint. Available in comic shops everywhere right now. It's not an imprint? What is it then? What was it? The pop-up? <laughs> it's just, is it a pop-up imprint? I mean, just don't call it an imprint, God man. God damn it, DC. Know. God damn it. It's a state of mind, Matt. It's a state All right? of mind. of our book club each month on the show we pick a trade paperback or graphic novel to read with one of our friends for our take a look it's in a book club segment and this month one of our buddies chose to read for us now if you're a patron for as little as one dollar a month you can hear the full segment over at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd but here is a taste of our discussion of jeff smith's latest prehistoric opus Tookie with guest star, ladies and gentlemen, it's Toots time.
Welcome to a prehistoric edition of THN's Take a Look, It's in a Book Club, where this month we sat down with our very own Wooly Toots to talk about Jeff Smith's Tookie, which is just too much fun to say. And I can't say it any other way than like, Tookie. It's Tookie. Tookie. Fight for fire. Tookie. Fight for fire. So this is available for pre-order via Boneville.com. It's 40 bucks for a soft cover. 50 bucks for a hardcover. They're in big, sexy landscape format. If you don't know what landscape format is, take your comic book, turn it sideways. That's what landscape format looks like. <laughs> this was written and drawn by Jeff Smith. Here's your solicit for the book. The ancient world was filled with restless spirits and powerful forces. Two million years ago, human evolution made its move. It chose fire. At the dawn of humanity, during a period of tremendous change and drought, three lost children meet a mysterious traveler named Tuki. Together, their search for the mother herd of all buffalo, or Moab. <laughs> now I, I get it. Leads them far north through dangerous territory of a rival species called the Habiline. The Habiline hunt and kill anyone found using fire. Tuki's reputation precedes them, and soon they find themselves at the center of unwanted attention, not only from Habiline warriors, but of tribal spirits and giants. Now, if you haven't heard of Tuki, this began as a webcomic way back in 2013, and it was collected in four floppy editions, but... For health reasons, Smith never finished the story. While a lot of us were buying puppies and perfecting sourdough during the pandemic, Jeff Smith was not only working on finishing Tukey, but he cranked out two new landscape format Tukey graphic novels that were just successfully funded on Kickstarter. And the first volume is going to hit stores very soon here. Joe, we read Tukey number one back in the day. For episode 171, we both gave issue number one a huge buy it. But yeah. here's the thing. In the back matter for this book, Smith mentions that he considers the first four comics sort of uh, that collected the web comics sort of pilot episodes. And this new expanded edition, he's reworked. Now, that was called Tukey Save the Humans. Am I right, Toots? You are correct, sir. And this new one is Tukey fight for fire so we know you did your homework how different is the beginning of this book from the first four floppy issues uh okay so the first issue is the most heavily changed of the four books because in the back of each issue of the floppies you know the in the letters pages right it's almost like he listened to a lot of what his fans were saying where they felt like there needed to be be more like silent moments in this story, you know, uh, either needed to be paced out more or something. And then there were people that were complaining about the format, the landscape, Him going format. to this landscape horizontal format. It pisses a lot of people off and I don't get it. Cause there's times where like landscape absolutely works, but they weren't landscape. Were they landscape at the time? Yeah, well, it was, on a, it was a web comic. But even and, and the, yeah, in the, the issue, but I mean, the comics were the comics landscape. They, they are it that way. Okay. Yeah. They are. But as Joe said in a review recently, if you start out that way, it's not a problem. It's when you have to start shifting the book while reading it yes. over and over. Yeah. Well, you know, over and over, which is one reason why I couldn't read. Uh, what's his name? The guy that did uh, Kabuki. Uh, David Mack. David Mack. I could. I couldn't read David Mack anymore. Yeah. man. when you're following his 
Crazy. Oh yeah, because he like wrote shit in spirals and yeah, yeah. yeah it was like I'm done with it. It was too much. It was just so, too much. Yeah, so the floppies were horizontal, were landscape, but I mean, no big deal. Yeah, right. Still. I mean, like the entire thing's landscape. We just reviewed GH Williams Echo Lands, and that's all landscape. And we were like, "Fuck yeah, keep it landscape. This rules." <laughs> so yeah, so like the 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 scene where he meets the the ancient lore keeper Habiline that is greatly expanded. And you guys know that because in the back matter, he does show the original page and the redone page. Um, Yeah. He expanded that like, at least by almost a dozen pages. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, there are whole sequences where he added multiple pages. It says in the back. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so by the time you get through issue two of the floppy, I think you are only, or no, by the time you get through. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for Teaching 638. And next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns, forcing us to discuss classic comics based on a theme of its choosing. It's a whole thing, okay? This time, it's Lovable Losers, comics featuring heroes. The don't quite make the Avengers roster, if you know what I mean. These are lesser-known, questionably loser heroes that we love. I'll be picking lovable losers that I love for Joe to read. Joe will be picking lovable losers that he loves for me to read. Because why not add another wrinkle to our reviews every single episode? Sure. I don't know why he keeps doing it. We He's will decide, are every, they lovable, or should you just get over this? Come on. Every time. Every <laughs> week, it's a new thing. We're this week, I did something. this in my reviews. If you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time. <laughs> Hosted on our Facebook page. That is barring unless Facebook does blow up again in the next week here. And don't forget about our question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Matt Bomb himself. Who is your favorite double threat comics creator? That's someone responsible for the story and the art a writer and a drawer uh please keep your question of the week suggestions coming so matt doesn't keep rehashing uh ones we've already done uh you can send them to me via facebook twitter email uh you know paper airplane carrier pigeon you know how to find me you can also call 402-819-4894 or join our zoom by clicking on the link in the facebook live video chat during the show if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message at the hotline and you could be internet famous. Remember, if you're going to submit your question via the hotline or MP3, keep it on the shorter side, two minutes or less. We appreciate it. We got a lot of air to share. Uh, you can also leave your question of the week suggestion on the voicemail if you choose or in an mp3 and we'll play it on the show if you're new to this show and you would rather someone plumbed your soul rather than listen to any more i assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough the good news is you can hear the entire run of thn in our digital longbox archive at twoheadednerd.com thn is a listener supported podcast and it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like idris hussein obama president obama's brother i don't know if you knew this if you like what you've heard every week where's his birthday it's easy to support the show. Sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you will hear that we are now putting all kinds of exclusive content
content up there to thank the jerks that are already paying for the show. Or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you're just that damn cool. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the voice of the extra-dimensional AI that brings you the onomatopoeia of the week, Mr. Mark Tarrington, who learned two new things about Spider-Man after listening to our Tales Too Terrible to Tell Patreon-exclusive. One, Spider-Man will kill your family. Yeah, don't mess with him. He'll kill your friends, too. And two, take it in excess. <laughs> the Goblin Serum may cause anal leakage. It's true. Word to you, Mark. And if you spend a measly $5 a month with us on Patreon, you could learn this stuff too. Until next time, true believers, important medical advice. Remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just leak something out of his anus all over your comics. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off, but first... I knew you were going to go there, but I I was hoping you wouldn't. (laughs) Okay? It was right right there. He turned and set it on the tee, and they wheeled me up in my wheelchair, and I just swung, and everybody cheered as they wheeled me to first base. Come on. (laughs) This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off, but first... You're on a P of the week. Hello, this is Security AI, Aegis from Earth 27 calling with your onomatopoeia of the week. It is two days, seven hours and three minutes since I last deployed countermeasures. There has been a recent change to the Institute's dress code. From the beginning of next week, garments made in whole or part from human skin are no longer permitted. Your onomatopoeia of the week is... Is the sound of Beth Ross, seen to be President of the United States of America accidentally frying her hair in a corn dog fryer in issue 1 of Prez. Written by Mark Russell and published by DC Comics in 2015. Remember, Aegis is always watching. It's for your protection. Goodbye.